0: a news reporter once visited a few Christian churches to to see just how how friendly and loving they were. And this news reporter rated his uh, visitation experiences according to a point system that he put together. Greeters at the door for that church Two points, pre-packaged form letters from the pastor, three points, a a coffee hour received five points, I think maybe ten points were in order for that one personally. individual people introducing themselves in a cordial, welcoming way, 10 points. Now watch this. This was his rating system. Personal invitations that he received to dinner got 60 points in his rating system. It's just interesting to me how don't even know where that reporter was at with the Lord. I just interesting to me how that rating system demonstrates just how powerfully hospitality communicates love. And I think that this is precisely why hospitality is brought up by Peter in verse 9, just after he mentions love. In fact, in the structure of the text, it's almost as if after love covers, it blesses through hospitality. So certainly then, hospitality is an expression of love, and I think Alexander Strock. The theologian who writes a lot on the local church says, and he's right, quote, hardly anything is more characteristic of Christian love than hospitality. Hospitality is essential, he says, to fanning the flames of love and strengthening the Christian community, end quote. So this morning what we're going to do is just explore this, to explore just how essential hospitality really is for the life and ministry of Grace Community Bible Church. And so by our simple approach, I think as we unpack just one verse, verse 9, is to just to ask and try to answer three questions about hospitality. That's what we're going to do. We're going to ask and answer three questions about hospitality. Before we start, let's reread our verse. One verse, verse 9, be hospitable to one another without complaint. So then, first question, what is hospitality? What is hospitality? What's the nature of it? Well, the word itself means loving strangers. This Greek word means loving strangers. Pastor Dan would be proud of me to attempt to encourage interpret that word in its context, because there's a range of meanings for that word. But that word, I think that captures quite a bit of it. There's love there. It means loving strangers. So it makes sense that this would be expression of love seen in verse 8. Now, in the Old Testament, if we try to figure out what hospitality is. Remember that the Israelites would have desperately depended upon this for survival in so many different ways. They're always in their history, were they not? Weren't the Jews always on the move, moving around, a nomadic people, sometimes intentionally, sometimes because of their sin? They had no permanent place of residence most of the time, but they lived in tents. They lived as wanderers. And because of that, they craved and they loved and, frankly, they depended upon Hospitality in their midst. It was highly valued, not only for the Israelites of old, but in the ancient Near East in Old Testament times, and frankly, it still is valued there today in a way that I don't think we understand as Westerners. Deuteronomy fourteen twenty nine says, "The Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance among you, and the alien, the orphan." And the widow who are in your town shall come and eat and be satisfied in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand which you do. Of course, that emphasis is carried over into the New Testament in the early church composed of Jew and Gentile. And so that Old Testament mindset and need and hunger for hospitality was Carried over, And we see this right away in the book of Matthew, in our Lord's teaching, in Matthew 25, verse 35, where Jesus says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. And the author of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 2, says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Paul commanded hospitality in Romans 12, verse 13. Romans 12, verse 13, I won't even read it. Paul commands hospitality, and one of the requirements for both elders and deacons, they are hospitable. Hospitality is essential. Hospitality is crucial. It was crucial in the Old Testament times. Moses thought hospitality was crucial. Jesus thought hospitality was crucial. The apostles thought hospitality was crucial. It was crucial, especially in the days of the dispersion, in the days in which Peter was written. In these New Testament days, as persecution came, and pressure came, hospitality was essential. We, we, we do know that in those days, there wasn't a you know, Motel 6 on every corner, there weren't hospitals and, and inns, there were few in number, they were very expensive to stay there, and frankly, they were very unsavory, is the best word that's PG here. They were unsavory at best. Dangerous places in a lot of ways. And so Peter is addressing Uh, the scattered church, scattered because of persecution, scattered in little pockets alone in Asia Minor. And they would be um, persecuted groups here and there, and they would have all kinds of opportunities to assist other brothers and sisters and to show hospitality to those hurting believers that are scattered. Even, Even the person who carried Peter's letter to the church would be in need of a place to stay. It was so essential as they traveled from town to town, housing them overnight. One scholar says, "Quotes "...hospitality was particularly crucial for the Christian mission in a day when lodging could not be afforded, and hence the advance of the mission depended upon the willingness of believers to provide bed and board." For those visiting. End quotes. Isn't that what Andrew read in 1 John? 3 John, actually, sorry, 3 John verses 5 through 8. Just be reminded Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, especially when they are strangers and they have testified to your love. It's love. They have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them. On their way in a manner worthy of God, for they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. That text is just a picture, just a description that hospitality was indeed practiced in the New Testament church. So, what do we know about what hospitality is so far? Hospitality certainly includes having complete strangers who are not believers in your home. It could also include having complete strangers who are believers in your home, right? Traveling missionaries, pastors, staying overnight. But context determines the meaning of the word, does it not? CE Hour, we learned about that. And in this text, the nature of hospitality is a little bit more focused. Now, we'll look at it. The text says, be hospitable to one another, to one another, to those within the church. So this suggests that the hospitality specifically in view here is the form of hospitality that functions among the local community of believers. And this was essential because we know in the local church, I mean, where did they meet many times, especially the scattered church under persecution? They met in homes. They gathered in homes. So the gathering place for the local church, it was essential that they practice hospitality for fellowship and worship together. Listen to Acts 2, verse 46, description of the local church. A description, Pastor Dan, not a prescription. Acts chapter 2, verse 46, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. There it is. The hospitality there is is a form of fellowship, taking their meals together. It's a sharing. It's a fellowship. Hospitality. That sort of love is sharing our very lives with each other. We try to teach our kids, don't we, parents, grandparents? We try to teach our kids to share. We do. Teach them to share their Legos. We teach them to share their dolls. We teach them to share their BB guns under proper supervision. I always appreciate it when my father-in-law, Pastor Don, shares his tools with me that he rarely gets back until he comes and says, hey, have I seen this before? He's willing to share. But listen to this. The ministry of hospitality is sharing the things that we value the most in this world. If you think about it, Family, sharing your family, sharing your home, sharing your finances, sharing your food, sharing your privacy. And how about this, and most important of all in our culture, sharing our time? The things that are most valuable, we share in hospitality. So, who is commanded to practice hospitality here? The elders? The deacons, it says, be hospitable to one another. It's all of the believers here are commanded for hospitality. Are those only with large homes that are commanded to practice hospitality? Um, Only those who are married? No, this is a command for all believers. Married, single, college-aged. Older, Gentile, Jew, wealthy, poor, struggling, sanctified, wherever you are at, we're all commanded to practice hospitality. I I like what uh, one pastor, Pastor Helms, tells a story of E. Stanley Jones. He was an itinerant evangelist, and he preached in Kentucky back in the day. Years ago, he preached in Kentucky among the mountaineers in Kentucky who were very, very poor at the time which this itinerant preacher, Stanley, would travel and preach in the mountains. I should have had John give this illustration. It would have been a lot better with that accent. Dr. Jones tells about the hospitality towards him. He would, he would meet in a schoolhouse to preach to the Mountaineers in Kentucky, and he, he tells about this. He says, quotes, At the schoolhouse, I was invited to stay with a man and his wife. And when I arrived, I saw that there was one bed. The husband said, you take the fireside. Then he got in to the middle, and then his wife and Morgan took the far side of the bed. I turned my face to the wall as they dressed, and they stepped out while I dressed. That was real hospitality. I have slept in palaces but the hospitality of that one-bed home was the most memorable and the most appreciated. End quotes. That's the nature of hospitality. Now secondly, how do we practice hospitality or the manner of hospitality? That's what it is. You get a feel for it. Now, how do we practice hospitality? Well, look at your text. Be hospitable to one another. here it is without complaint that's the how and it's it's in the text is kind of a a negative type of manner without grumbling, without grumbling, without complaint very interesting word that word for complaint that has the uh, idea of an utterance made in a low tone, a tone of voice, just kind of mumbling under your breath. I, I, I. It's discontentment. Complaining is a good translation. Grumbling is a great translation. Isn't this strangely encouraging? That in the New Testament they admitted that the practice of hospitality could lead to grumbling to complaining about it it's strangely encouraging to me ben franklin's poor richard's almanac says this quotes fish and guests smell after 3 days end quotes Peter knows, Peter knows, as he writes, that hospitality is very difficult. It's very selfless. It's about someone else. It's an act of fervent love. And the flesh will tend to grumble and complain. What are the reasons that we might grumble? I'm going here. What are the reasons that we might grumble? I just gave some. It costs a lot of money to feed other people. It takes a lot of work to clean up the house before and afterwards. And then our pride gets in the way because our house is not clean enough, or we don't have the perfect pictures on the wall, or the house is not as nice and as big as others. And then there's a spiritual war that costs, tends to cause us to grumble. And it takes an awful lot of time to have other people over. I mean, Imagine if you're opening up your home for a church service in the New Testament, it costs. Or perhaps you open up your home for a grace group. It costs. And you're going to have people over that you're not going to like, typically invite over to your home. You're going to have those over who are hard to get along with. Where there's an absence of natural warm feelings and, and, and the presence of even strained relationships within the church. I mean, you may have people in your home that you have recently covered sin. And instead of cursing those who insult you, you've decided to bless them instead. You wonder what that blessing is in First Peter? It's practicing hospitality, is at least in the context, one of the ways we bless. I mean, imagine that. You think there's a cost to bear in sharing your home that you, with someone you've recently covered sin. It has assaulted you and complained against you, and you've let it go and you've covered it. You decide to bless them instead. There is a cost to hospitality that easily we, we could see could lead to grumbling and complaining. Make no mistake about it, hospitality is difficult, and the flesh will tend to grumble. Therefore, Peter says, practice hospitality with one another without... Grumbling. And here's what I don't think he means. I don't think he means keeping your mouth closed, but having your heart hate every second of it. I don't think he means pasting a plastic smile on your face. I don't think he means for us to have another thing. Here we go, Pastor Jeff, four imperatives again. Another thing is that I can check off my Holy Spirit to-do list. I don't think Peter means that at all in this passage. No, biblical hospitality, sharing, close fellowship as a spiritual family, the comfort of home, Peter is trying to tell us, can be one of the biggest blessings this side of glory, a foretaste of heaven itself. Do it without complaint, but he's not wanting us to be neutral about it. Keep my mouth closed. No murmuring for me today. No. Put put off grumbling. Put on joy. Put on gratitude. Practicing hospitality. Don't do it with grumbling. What is he saying? I think there's something here. It's an expression of love mentioned in verse 8. It's an expression of fervent love that covers a multitude of sins. A multitude of sins that can provoke us to grumble. But instead of grumbling, we bless instead. And when we bless, we are blessed. And God fills us with purpose, and he fills us with joy, and he fills us with gratitude. And he fills us with sanctification. Because I would submit to you that hospitality is sanctifying. That's pure joy for the true believer to grow into the image of Christ. I know what you're saying. I'm not really Martha Stewart, the Martha Stewart type. It's really not my thing. That's the next verse when we get to pick and choose our spiritual gifts. That's for next week. This is for everybody. I don't have good China. I don't know how to do a place settling. I don't have the latest board games. I don't have Wii Pictionary, which is out-to-date I don't have, I don't have, I'm not supposed to grumble, I get it. I'm supposed to be thankful, all right, but how do I do this? Can you get practical? Okay, here's the first thing, and hear me on this. And We need to have a heart to come to the Word of God when we see something like this and to say, I understand it, that settles it, honey, what are we going to do to do this? That has to be my heart to the Word of God. That's the first thing. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but apparently I'm going to do it. That's the first step. But I think Alexander Strock gives five good suggestions to how to get started with hospitality in the how. Okay, so I'm going to give you some very practical ideas from Alexander Strock. He says, first... Set up a regular time each week or month to invite people into your home. Number one, set up a regular time. Plan for it. Second, make a list of people who would be encouraged by your offer of hospitality. Unfortunately, that is a long list, if if the definition is those who would be encouraged by it. But let me give you a little more help from Dr. Strzok. Perhaps new church members, which you'll meet today. A new group of church members with the right hand of fellowship today that you can identify. Perhaps visitors to this church. Perhaps someone that you don't know in the church, so that literally within the church, it's it's love to strangers, because to you they're a stranger and you wouldn't want to get to know them. That would be a good person to have on the list. Perhaps those who are lonely. Perhaps those who are going through trials. Perhaps the single people in this church should invite the married couples, and the married couples should invite the singles in this church. Third, so get a list not only of a time to do this, but a list of people who might be encouraged. Third, Strock says, remember to invite people to your home during the holiday seasons. Many people are very, right, lonely and discouraged. That is the worst time of the year for them, and we're coming up to it. It's the worst. Recognize that. Look at that as an opportunity to show the very love of Christ. Fourth, Enjoy creative activities with your guests. Ask questions around the table. Have a time of prayer and short scripture reading together. I gave this idea to my wife the other day. I said, everybody that walks through my door from now on, I'm going to open up the Word of God and pray with them. She goes, well, I guess we'll have less people. (laughs) I mean, no one wants to hear another 55-minute sermon, you know what I mean? So... (laughs) I'm like, okay, I'll keep it to a dull roar, all right? It was like a check in her spirit, I guess is the way of saying that when I brought that idea to her. Anyways, play a game, a time of prayer, take a walk together, do some creative things. Fifth, volunteer to house a missionary or traveling servant of the Lord. Um, there's opportunities even this fall. Um, Dan just sent one out to house a missionary in our midst. I think this would be a great discussion in your grace groups this fall as to how to implement a sermon like this. Because after all, grace groups in a sense touches fellowship and hospitality right at its very heart. So that'd be a good context for the how. So that's a little help for the how how from from, uh, Peter, not with grumbling, but with gratitude and Joy, and then some practical suggestions. Third, then, why? Why is hospitality so important? The reason for hospitality. Now, in a sense, we almost should have looked at this first because what I just said will now come and pop in three dimensions. And all kinds of, of ways and understandings of this will now explode before you if the Holy Spirit's in this message. Listen carefully then the why of hospitality. We'll look at four reasons this morning why hospitality is so important. Number one, and it's in, the, it's in your handout, look outward. Look outward. Reason number one, look outward. Hospitality is a light to the world. It is. It's a light to the world. It's a love to strangers. So not only will unbelievers know that we are Christians as they observe our love. But one of the best ways we can minister to the unbelieving world is by inviting them into our home. Their neighbors and coworkers and friends, to have them home, a natural setting in the first century to share Christ, the most natural was the home. I think that's true today. It's not culturally as common but I think it's probably the most natural way to share Christ. Jim Peterson, believing pastor, tells about a Brazilian man whose name was Mario. And, and his friend Mario, Jim's friend Mario, was a Marxist intellectual and political activist, someone you would never expect to be a, prime candidate to become a Christian. He just wasn't. Jim studied the Bible with Mario for about four years before he came to Christ. Four years. After he came to Christ, uh, Jim asked Mario, because he was curious, "What what was the real reason you had decided to follow Christ? Of course, Jim thought it was the many hours of, you know, discussion over the Word of God, the Scripture, that he would say, that that would be his reply. But here's what Mario said Quotes, remember that first time I stopped by your house, Jim? We were on our way someplace together, and I had a bowl of soup with you and your family. But as I sat there observing you, your wife, your children, and how you related to each other, I asked myself, when will I have a relationship like this with my fiancé? When I realized the answer was never, I concluded I had to become a Christian for the sake of my own survival, In quotes. A few years ago, right before Christmas time, we always receive an update letter from Bobby and Danielle Harnest, our, our missionaries in Vienna. It's always fun to receive that letter. And here's what Bobby wrote a few years ago in his update email. He said, "Quotes: last Friday, we were able to have some classmates over to play dom- dominoes. Sadly, our teacher couldn't make it. This is their, their German class where they're learning German at the public university. Sadly, our teacher couldn't make it, but we had some good conversations with the few who were there. One specific classmate of Bobby's, Bobby's told him that he would like to hang out more. After that, another classmate told us that 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 we are another classmate told us that we are the classic loving married couple that nobody really sees anymore. Bobby writes, we hope that the love we have for one another and for them will lead into more opportunities to share the gospel, In quotes. Look outward. Hospitality is a light to the world. Number two on the why. Look inward. Look inward. Hospitality is a key location for fellowship and discipleship. Hospitality is a, a key location for fellowship and discipleship. Look inward to this local church. Brothers and sisters, if the extent of our fellowship is a half hour outside with the kids running around, hoping they're not going to run into the street, wondering if they're, where they're at, grabbing a cup of coffee, if the extent of our fellowship in this church is that little bit of time right after church, we are in big trouble. We are in big trouble. I'm not saying it can't be used. Lord bless it. What would it be if that was the extent of our love for one another? Furthermore, our calling is to make disciples of the nations. Our calling is to help others within this fellowship grow more and more into the image of Christ. So We can't do real fellowship in that little half hour. Home is a great context, not only for fellowship, but fellowship is for discipleship and discipling people. You can't disciple people from a distance. You can't disciple people with a handshake, hi and goodbye, was that a good sermon? You can't disciple people with two minutes in the hall. Discipleship takes time. It takes energy. It takes effort. And let me tell you, I need to be discipled. You need to be discipled. We need to be discipled together. And the home is a great context for discipleship. Martin Luther knew this, did he not? And his wife, Katie? They really exemplified discipleship hospitality. They were known for an open home. One historian writes, "Quotes, For the great house was always full to the brim. End quotes. In fact, Luther, I don't know what, what she thought was, the, was more powerful. Um, the, the pulpit. In, in the church or the, the lectern in the seminary that he taught at or the table in his kitchen. I don't know which he would say was the, was the most powerful in his ministry. They debate. The historians debate it. Luther's famous table talk was written by his many students and guests that would come into their home and recount The hours of conversation around the table. An amazing testimony to the power of the home and discipleship and teaching people Christianity and the gospel. This is my testimony. I was saved at age 27. And my my friend Chris invited me over to their home to help disciple me. We went through the Book of Romans. We went on Thursday nights. And Mrs. Drager, my friend's mom, she could cook and she would cook. I almost felt bad. Hey, what's your mom cooking tonight? I was a little self-focused a little bit, perhaps. Um, well, he, anyways, I'll leave it. Mrs. Drager would, and the smells in her home, and, and the, the food, and the comfortable couch downstairs, and the coffee right there, and the place. I just, I just the time in the Word of God in the book of Romans. I remember getting to Romans 7 and Paul LeClaire was a part of that Bible study when I first got saved. He's not here anymore, a member of our church in the past. And I'm studying that guy in Romans 7, right? The things you, you want to do, you don't do, and the things you. Is that a believer or unbeliever? And I was convinced that is a. That is, and I was sharing all my reasons, and it was a safe place to vent and to be wrong, to be discipled. I'm convinced that, that that's got to be an unbeliever. And Brett, my friend, says, he's saved already. And it was a safe place for all of that interaction. Value those days. Brothers and sisters, look inward to the fellowship and consider that your home can be used as a hub for fellowship and discipleship within this church. Third. Third reason hospitality is so important. Okay, here it is. Look forward. Outward, inward, look forward. Hospitality, why? Because the day is near. Hospitality, because the day is near. Remember, every one of these commands, what's number one? Prayer. What's number two? Love. What's number three? Hospitality, and then spiritual gifts next week. All of them are in light of the near coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the second coming. So we are motivated to practice hospitality by the second coming of Christ. Why is that? It's a good question. Here's the best I have to answer that question. Why does the last day, the day drawing near, motivate hospitality? Well, here's the best I have for you. Because you're practicing up for heaven. Love is the only thing That is eternal. The only thing that we will take to heaven with us is our brothers and sisters. Okay, let me say it this way, because I don't want you to think it's weird what I said. When faith becomes sight, when hope is satisfied, love still remains. Heaven is a place of love. And just as my daughter Hannah, listen, this this will help you, just as my daughter Hannah might practice serving the volleyball and defensive reads as the day of her volleyball tournament draws near, so believers might practice hospitality, tangible love, as we see the, the day of the great marriage supper of the Lamb approaching. Love is what lasts. Let's start doing it. Apparently, we're gonna like it in heaven, at least. Number four, and most importantly of all the reasons here is to look upward. The final reason that hospitality is important, look upward. Hospitality is labor flowing from Christ's love. I'm gonna say that again. Hospitality is labor flowing from the love of Christ. Romans 15, verse 7, great verse to to write down. Just write the reference down. Romans 15, verse 7 says, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Brothers and sisters, we... Pray because Christ first prayed for us. We love because he first loved us. We welcome others because he has first welcomed us. We practice hospitality. We bring strangers into our home because God in Christ practiced hospitality towards us. That is the gospel. God in Christ practicing hospitality towards us. This is the ultimate reason for hospitality. Now listen. Listen. Listen to this. Consider some things for just a moment. Consider that Jesus was treated as a forsaken stranger so that we could be beloved sons and daughters, so that we could be brought into the home, seated at the table. He was treated as a stranger that we might Songs. Okay, now watch this. Do you realize the failure in hospitality when it comes to Jesus Christ? Let's consider His first coming. Joseph and Mary on the night of the birth of Jesus. Even though the law of God commands that hospitality be given to sojourners. It's in the law. The door of the inn The door of the inn was shut upon our Savior. He was denied hospitality. He was born in a barn instead with manure placed in a feeding trough. Failure of hospitality at his first coming. What about in the middle of his ministry? All throughout his earthly life with Jesus Christ, there's rejection of him. Even by his own brothers and sisters, they took offense at him. His first sermon in the book of Luke was preached in his hometown of Nazareth. Did they show him hospitality when he came? No, they tried to run him off the cliff. How is that for hospitality? The Son of Man had not a place to lay his head. He had no place to lay his head. They did not show him hospitality. Why? Why? So that we might be shown hospitality at the beginning, in the middle, and at the end, he was denied hospitality for us in our place. Think about the end of his ministry in those days as the, as, as the cross loomed near, and his friends, his friends who were close to him, made certain promises about them never doing this or that or the other thing. Peter made those promises. They didn't keep those promises, and they denied him, and his friends betrayed him, and then all of his disciples, except for the women, ran and forsook him, and then alone, naked and ashamed and bleeding, He suffered unspeakably, all culminating in the cry of torment from the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The ultimate, the ultimate booting out of the house. As our Savior took upon the wrath for every one of our sins. And he was denied hospitality to the uttermost that we might be brought in, that our sins may be gone. That that God would see us squirming in our blood, in the blood of our sins, as Isaiah and Ezekiel tell us. And take us in His arms out of love, and wash us up, and clothe us in His righteousness, and bring us into His home. He did that because He forsook His only Son. That is what happened at the cross. And that's why strangers like us might be sons. Helga Henry, the wife of the famous theologian Carl Henry, reminds us pointedly, Christian hospitality is not a matter of choice. It's not a matter of money, it's not a matter of age, social standing, sex, or personality. Christian hospitality is a matter of obedience to God, in quotes. No wonder John writes in 1 John 3, verse 18, when he talks about love for the brother, and he says, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. May hospitality be spirit-led joy-filled obedience to God. Indeed, we do practice hospitality at GCBC, don't we? As Paul said at church in 1 Thessalonians 4 9, but we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. Be hospitable to one another without complaint.